All right, go ahead and um, find Psalm 3. Psalm 3. I think sometimes we just forget that we're just normal people that gather to worship a great God. Um, I know I do. I get caught up in like the details and I get like super anxious and want everything to be like spot on and sometimes that's actually the worst thing. Um, and we forget grace. I do. Um, which is pretty ironic because this sermon today has a lot to do with that and, and trusting. Um, if you're looking at your bulletin, which I didn't hand out, so you probably are not. Um, there's another thing. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so... This, this sermon is actually titled Absolute Trust, which you didn't know before because you don't have a bulletin in your hand. And, and the point of absolute trust is just simply trusting in the Lord, trusting in God being a sovereign God. Um, and in being a sovereign God, He is sovereign. And, and we talk about Romans 8 a lot, and we talk about trusting God, but so often we do it by name only. We, we don't actually trust in the sovereignty of God. We're not actually trusting in the fact that He holds all things together. Um, I know I do in my life. And, and the reason I say it's ironic is because yesterday I... Was I was cutting grass up here, and I was cutting grass at home, and I started, I like to listen to books when I'm writing, you know, the nerd in them never ends, so I was listening to it, I started a new book called Reset, and um, the gist of the book is really just reminding ourselves that God is gracious, and that all of our lives should be fueled by grace, um, our churches should be fueled by grace, um, and I, I know in my life, I say that I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I, I say that I'm leaning into the graciousness of God, but practically, I don't actually do those things. So it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to actually do it. And sometimes the do actually shows our belief more than the saying. And so, um, you know, I started listening yesterday, and I was just wrecked by doing that and then all I could think was like this whole sermon has everything to do with that I wish I'd have listened to it before I wrote the sermon um, but I, I wasn't going to go back and rewrite the sermon um, so yeah and so I, I pretty much just told myself that I wouldn't let those things bother me this morning um, that we would be relaxed and be a, we need to be a place of grace um and, and you've probably heard the saying, as goes the leader, so goes the people. And, and if I'm not leaning into, truly into the grace of God, and if I'm not living under the grace of God, then it doesn't matter how much I say we should do those things, then nobody's going to follow me to do those things. Um, so hopefully today is the beginning of a new day. Um, yeah. And to not take things quite so seriously. But yeah, and all that actually has a lot to do with where we're going to be today in Psalm 3. Um, 
Romans 8 is one of my favorite passages, if not my favorite passages in all of Scripture. To know that God is working all things for good. But again, practically, I don't necessarily believe that every day of my life, I guess. Um, I get really down. Um, I let things bother me that shouldn't bother me. Um, I get way too uptight about things. And, and the reality is, is that every, every one of us, um, and when I say us, I'm namely speaking to those who have trusted in Jesus. I'm, I'm speaking to the Christian right now. Every, every Christian will face storms in life. We will face trials. And we will want to ask God why. We will want to question God. We'll want to argue with God. And we'll want to blame God. But ultimately... What that does is it shows us our lack of belief in who God is. Um, and Psalm 3 is really a picture of that. And, and just to give you a, a brief overview of what it's about, you notice right up front it says, A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. You can go to 2 Samuel 15 um, through 18 and you can get the whole scope of what's taking place. But, but basically, you know, David is this powerful king who is losing followers because there's a coup rising with his son, Absalom. His son's rising to take his place um, and not in a good way. And, and David is fleeing. <laughs> he, he's fleeing for his life. He's, he's running. Um, but yet in a moment of absolute trust, he calls out to God the one sure thing he has in his life. The one thing that he can truly rely on. I mean, God, we talked about this last week, but God had made the promise to David that the throne would last forever. And David might not have fully understood what exactly that meant, but right now he knows that it looks like his kingdom is probably on the way out. His life is fleeting because his son is trying to kill him. And, and, but, David's not necessarily concerned. And, and he turns to God and he calls out to God. And, and here's the main idea where we're going to be today. Is that when you face storms in life, turn to God in absolute trust. I'm going to read Psalm 3 and I'm going to pray for us. And then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit together. Psalm 3 starting in verse 1. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and I slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Say, wow. Let's pray. 
Father, what a comfort it is to the Christian to know that you are who you say you are. Sovereign, majestic, mighty in power, author, perfecter, creator, sustainer. Victorious. And loving, gracious, merciful. And we know, or at least I hope we do, that when we follow you, we will face difficult days. That's not to say you're absent. God, just as I was reminded yesterday in the book that I was reading, it doesn't mean you have removed yourself. It actually means you're hunting us down. That when our afflictions are many, it's not because you're not there, but it's because you're there more. Teaching us to rest in you above all things. To lean into you in your graciousness and not trying to move in our own power and our own authority. So God, this morning as we look at Psalm 3, as we see David fleeing for his life, let us see how he looks at you, not to rejoice in David, but to rejoice in you and your goodness that you would give him this peace, that you would give him this assurance To fully trust in you. Even in some of the most difficult moments of his life. And I pray God that in seeing this. That we will be able to analyze our own lives. And find our trust in you and you alone. That we would quit running. That we would quit trying to earn it. And we would realize that Jesus has already done everything necessary for us to be counted righteous. So we ask your blessing on the reading of your word this morning. And that you will speak to each and every one of us in our lives, in our hearts. That we will repent of sin where it needs repenting of. That we will confess sin that needs to be confessed. That we will rest in the graciousness of our King. And that we will rejoice in the saving work of Christ. And that all of those collectively will move in our hearts in such a way to act as a springboard for us onto mission for you. To make your name great and 
heard and seen in all the earth. It's in Jesus' good name that we pray. Amen. The first thing that we need to look at as we dive into Psalm 3 is David's enemies. Again, Psalm 3, verse 1 and 2, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Again, David had been enthroned. And David, you know, there was at one point where um, Saul was on the throne. And David was the promised king. But he had not been anointed as king yet. He had not, or he had been anointed as king. But he had not been um, given the throne yet. He was still waiting. And, and people were rallying around David. They knew that this was God's king, that he was promised by God. And, and even songs were being sung. Oh, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And rejoicing in the, the man that God had set apart. But those days have long gone. And now this coup is rising up against him, led by his son Absalom. And he's losing followers. He's losing people who had rested in him, and he's being chased by his son. Many are his foes, and many are rising against him. And the sad thing is, is not only are the foes rising against this great king, once great king, and not only is it that his son is coming at him, but many are even now saying in verse 2 of his soul that there is no salvation for him in God. In other words, they're looking at David, and they're, they're looking past the many things that God had allowed him to do, and they're looking to all the things that David did in David's failings, his um, affair with Bathsheba, his um, pushing Uriah to the front line so that he would be killed to try to cover up his great sin and and all of these different things. And they're saying his sin is so great that not even God could save him. Basically that salvation was out of reach for David. And, And I don't know about you, but maybe there are times in your life where you face sin that you think, Maybe it is a little too far out of reach for God. The truth is it's not. There is simply no sin too great for God to forgive. And life is difficult, right? I mean, hopefully you've got that so far this morning. Life is hard. We could probably go around the room right now and somebody's dealing with something that's troubling or something that's painful or something that even wants to just rip you apart. Problems arise, and and we might even try to resonate with David, or maybe we could resonate with David and say, how many are my foes, many are rising against me. But the good news of the gospel is that God is bigger. It doesn't matter what we face, it doesn't matter what we go through, God is bigger. We can't pull ourselves out of these pits. We can't lead our own lives into safety. We can't lead our own lives lives into joy. No, we must rest on the goodness and the graciousness and the glories of God himself. Because he is greater. 
This week I come across a quote and I actually posted it, but I want to share it with you again. And it's from Jared Wilson. He says this. He says, the cross is proof that God loves sinners. What does that have to do with it? It has everything to do with it because it shows that God is greater than anything. It shows that God loves us despite us. It shows that we are completely incapable of salvation on our own. We must rest in God. Because if we were in charge of salvation on our own, if it were capable, if we were capable of achieving this status, we would have no need for God. And in fact, we would really find no hope. Because at some point, even in our greatness, we would fail. And we would realize that if our hope is in us, then we really have no hope at all. But God demonstrating His own love for us sends His Son to die. That's why the cross is proof for us that God loves sinners. God didn't come to die for the righteous. Jesus didn't die. Remember, he says, I didn't come for those who are well. I came for the sick. I didn't come for those who think they have it all together. I come for those who know they don't. Because the reality is, is if we do have it all together, if we, have, if we think we have it all together, we don't have a need for God. So we must be made low to be brought up. But David's enemies are rising against him and and people all around him are saying, you have no hope and your sins are too great. Even for your God, he might have delivered you against David. He might, I mean, against Goliath. He might have delivered you from the bear. He might have delivered you from the lion. He might have delivered you from all these things, but not anymore. But notice... David's refuge in how he responds. The beginning of verse 3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of everything falling apart, David doesn't go into a slump. He actually looks to God as a shield. Now this isn't as big in our day, but... Obviously, soldiers in history would use shields as an extra arm of defense to protect them from all sorts of attacks. If somebody was coming at them with a sword, they could throw a shield to block it. If somebody throws a spear, they could block it. If if arrows are being shot, they can block them. And he's saying, "In, in the midst of all that is crumbling around me, you are my shield. David was trusting the Lord above all things as his protector, the protector of his soul. He says, my glory and the lifter of my head. So God's not only his shield, but he's his refuge as well. He's going to protect him, but he's also going to give him rest. See, again, David trusted wholly in God. He relied completely in God. He was resting in God. And for us, no matter what you may face in life, Jesus will be your shield of protection and a refuge from the storms. That's why the old hymn, Rock of Ages, is such a beautiful hymn. 
Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. That when the storms of life are coming, when all this chaos is ensuing me, I can cling to Christ and know that I have a protector. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. He goes on in verse 4 and he says, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Remember last week we talked about the reference of holy hill being that of the throne, God's throne, the the throne given by God. And, And he's saying, I cried to God and he answered me from his throne. I cried to the sovereign Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. The confidence that David has to look to God. Here we have the man after God's own heart. Who was once powerful, but now he's weak. Who was once in control, and now he's lost everything. Who once was thriving in life, is now fleeing for his life. And in all of that, he still knows that he is not the most powerful. No, he knows that God is. So he turns to the Lord. How many are my foes? How many are rising against me? But you, O Lord, are a shield. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. What a comfort it is to Christians to know that we can always turn to the Lord. And not only can we, but we should. So despite what's going on in our lives, we should turn to God. Despite the the rising tide of trouble, you should always look to the Lord for help. Because He will hear you. We're not praying into a void and we're hoping that something or someone will hear. We're praying to the God who does hear. Of all the things that Jesus could have been given as a gift for us after he leaves, our intercessor is one of those beauties. That he hears our prayers and he takes those petitions to God. And he becomes our refuge. He becomes our rest. So let me ask you this. Our we trusting in him as a place of refuge. You know, because what typically happens is things go bad and our default is to want to blame God or to question God or to blame others or to question others. But what we see here in the example of David is that we shouldn't do those things. No, we should look to the Lord. Or maybe we don't necessarily blame God, but we just turn our, way, our eyes away from God and we start trying to fill our life with all these other things that might bring us joy or bring us happiness or, or make us satisfied. But ultimately, those things will perish. Those things will fail and they won't bring satisfaction. I love what Calvin says. He says, certainly the only remedy for our fears is to cast on him all our cares and troubles. The only remedy is to cast everything on him. 
And that's one of the beauties of what we read in Hebrews, that we have this high priest who can sympathize with us because he's walked through this with us. You know, if, if God just simply said, I'm going to provide a way of salvation, that's kind of abstract. But the fact that Jesus came and he lived the same life that we live and he died in our place for our sins so that we could be called the righteousness of God gives us that ability to relax and to rest in him and his finished work. And he's constantly telling his people when he's here, cast your cares on me. Let me bear the burden. And that's not an abstract thought because he actually bore the burden. He literally took all of the sin of all of his people on himself. And he faced the wrath of God. And he faced the punishment for all of those sins. And God glorified him for it. So when Calvin says that certainly the only remedy for our fears is to cast on him all of our cares and troubles, there is absolute truth in that. So David's refuge is in God, and so is his rest. Look at verse 5. He says, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Now, how many of us, when we face like terrible situations, I'm not talking like little stresses, but I mean, little stresses do it too, but I'm talking like a, a big deal. How many of us go home and sleep? Nobody, probably, because what happens is we get anxious, and more than likely, we actually do the opposite and we, we stay awake. We, we can't sleep because our, our mind is, is churning and, and we don't know how to rest and we, and we can't. But David, in the midst of fleeing for his life, lays down and sleeps. Why? He's resting in God. He's facing this horrible storm. And he lays down and he sleeps. He's so trusting in the promises of the Father. He's so trusting in the leading of the Father that he can lay down and rest. And that, man, we could spend weeks on that point alone, but... Again, back to what I said in the beginning, if we say we believe the promises of God all throughout Scripture, but specifically in Romans 8, but every moment of our lives is filled with anxiety and all these issues of questioning, well, well, what can I do or how can I do it or whatever, we need to rest in who Jesus is. Because ultimately we're not understanding, we're not believing the fact that Jesus has conquered sin and death for us. We're not resting in the sovereign work of God. We're not resting in the sal salvation that God provides. We're fighting against that. We're not believing those things practically. We're not actually trusting in the graciousness of the Lord. Because if we did, we might chill a little bit more. <laughs> 
in a good way. To be able to say, Romans 8, that I know God is working all things together for good. And that we would actually believe it. Again, it's easy to say it, right? Especially when we quote it like every week. It's easy to say it. It's another thing to believe it. To not get so uptight, to not get so bent out of shape when things aren't going our way because our plans are failing. But to rest in who God is. To rest in the work of Christ. And what we see in David, he's just he's not afraid. I lay down and I slept and guess what? I woke up again and the Lord has sustained me. He goes on in verse 6, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. The funny thing is, is we get bent out of shape about little stuff. David has thousands of people after his head and he lays down to take a nap. But you see the the reflection in our lives of how we should be responding to who God is. That our rest should be in Him. It doesn't matter how much we get bent out of shape about something, we we can't change it. So why exhaust ourselves instead of resting in the plans of God? So David's seeking the Lord. He's he's not afraid because at this point in his life, he's been through enough and he's seen God graciously and faithfully care for him and provide for him that he is completely trusting. And at this point, he probably understands that even if he loses his life, he's gained. Because God has been faithfully pursuing him over and over and over again. I mentioned the book that I started yesterday, and the the guy writing the book, part of the reason he wrote the book is because he had to experience settling down and resting in God the hard way. Um, apparently, he was a very active person, um, a pretty outstretched ministry. He was a pastor, but he was an author, and he, he traveled and did a lot of speaking, and, and, and he said that you know one day he was in his recliner, and he was actually in his recliner to make a plan of how he could kind of reset over the next several weeks. And um, he said he started having pains. um, And his wife was a doctor, and so she basically forced him to go at least get checked out. Um, Long story short, he wound up with multiple blood clots in his lungs. And he said, and here I am, you know, hypothetically making plans on how I could rest and recharge when... God actually made me do it. And he was not angry at God for that. He was actually rejoicing that God did that. He, he was you know, angry that he let himself fall into that, but he was rejoicing that God hunted him down. And, and how, how often do we actually do the opposite where those things happen and we get frustrated or we get questioning because what, what is God doing that that's not allowing me to do, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not able to travel, I can't preach, and, the, and these people, you know, we, we get caught up in the desperation of the gospel that we forget the goodness of the gospel. And he's saying it was so good because God was hunting me down and it made me lay on my back or I possibly would have died. 
He said, so God made me rest. God made me rely on grace again and believe grace again. And I think that's a little glimpse of what we see right here with David. God had proven himself time and time and time and time again to David, and David was just trusting. He was just simply resting in who God was and what God was doing. And the only way we can do that is when we learn to lean into God as God. Um, in, in our culture, in our, in our way of thinking, some, sometimes we, we start twisting everything to where it's more about us and how we can respond and how we can do all this instead of just simply looking at who God is. And, and resting in who God is and, and what God is about. So instead of relying that God is God, we, we think that God is just there to be our helper occasionally. Um, but that's not the case. I mean, yes, the Holy Spirit is a helper and he's living within us, but, but ultimately God is God. Um, and we can try to, to control the things in our lives if we want, but ultimately we can't. Um, you can't make your heart beat. You can't make your blood flow. You can't make your brain fire. You can't make your lungs breathe. Only God does that. So ultimately we need to learn to rest in who God is and what God is doing. And here's the thing. That true rest comes when we rely completely on the faithfulness of God. Not on our work. Not even on our worship, but on who God is. Because as we do those things, we'll naturally work in, in grace and in trusting the grace of God. I, I love the, the old quote from Spurgeon. He said, I work like an Arminian, I sleep like a Calvinist. Um, he works as if, you know, everything, but, but when he lays his head down at night, he knows that he's done. He's served God how he needs to serve God, and he's trusting the Lord with the outcomes. And there's a lot of merit for that for our lives. I think sometimes we get called on one side or the other where we work, 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 and work and we lay down at night thinking we didn't do enough or we don't do anything laying down our head at night and be like, well, God's got it anyway. And both of those are wrong. But we need to learn to rest in the faithfulness of who God is. Moving on, look at David's prayer, verse 7. He says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Again, David had seen God prove himself time and time and time again. And his prayer shows this. His, his prayer reveals his rest and his trust in God. See, because David was sure of who God was. He was satisfied in who God was. He was trusting in what God could do. David's prayer was for God to deliver him. That's the gist of it. His prayer was that God would save him. And the thing that I think we often do is we, we overlook the reality that he did rest, which means in his prayer of deliverance, he was trusting the outcome to God regardless of what it was. Because if he was, this is how, because this is how most of us do things, right? We, we, we face these situations and we pray to God to remove the situation or save us from the situation. 
but then we go to bed completely full of anxiety about it. Or every moment of every day, we're, we're torn and, and we're fighting this battle of, of absolute trust. And we're not actually trusting. We say we want God to save us, but we haven't trusted God with the outcome of it. Because if we've ultimately trusted in God, we will basically say, whatever your will is, that's why Jesus says, your will be done, not mine. And so David at this point is basically, he's praying for deliverance, but he's obviously resting in it. So he's trusting that if God, if you save me from it, praise be to you. But if you don't, praise be to you. Because if we're truly children of God, and if we have truly trusted in the saving work of God, and we've given our lives to Him, then if all the situations in the world continue to weigh us down, and even if they take our lives, then we can echo what Paul says, for me to live as Christ, but to die as gain. Because if we truly believe the promises of God, and if we are truly children of God, then what happens when we lose this life? We gain eternity with Him. So it's a win, actually. But He says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all of my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. He knows that everything falls under the hands of God. One of the most popular psalms is in Psalm 46. And, you know, the popular verse is, Be still and know that I'm God. But when you see the situation around it, you have all of these things happening, and ultimately it was like, but God can just wipe those things out with a thought. He goes on in verse 8, he says, But salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people, Selah. His prayer for deliverance was just simply a confession that nothing could stand against God. He knew that God was over all of that. He knew that Absalom couldn't do anything to him that God wouldn't allow. And he trusted God to lead. He trusted God to God. He trusted God to deliver him regardless of whether it was deliver him in this life or deliver him into eternity. He trusted absolutely in God. And I, I'm guilty of this, where I get so, like, and to justify it, rightfully so, I'm, I'm so anti, like, prosperity gospel and stuff that sometimes I forget to say things that actually are true just because I don't want them to sound that way. But the, the realization is this. Um, God is greater than our foes in our situations. And, and we, we forget that. And, and for the sake of, of not being you know, coupled in with, with churches that we would disagree with or, or even sometimes um, false teachings, we, we forget the truths of who God is. Um, and He is much greater than all of that. He, he's, you know, I don't know what you're going through. If you have anxiety, He's greater than that. If you have depression, He's greater than that. If you have sickness, He's greater than that. I mean, the, that's the thing. God is greater, Period. not telling you to go out and get the little weird tattoo that says God is greater than the ups and downs and all of them are little like triangles. I'm not saying to do that, but I'm, I'm saying to trust in the fact that God is greater than those things. And so I can confidently stand here today and tell you, I don't care what you're going through, God is greater than it. He is. Trust in Him and rest in Him. 
Notice how he closes verse 8. He says, your blessing be on your people. Selah. Remember, in, in Psalm 1, it actually starts with blessed is the man. And, and uh, if you remember, that actually means happy is the man. But it's not like happy in the way we define happiness. It's like ultimate happiness, ultimate satisfaction in God. So your blessing, your joy be on your people. So you want to know where we get, what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? This is it. When we find absolute trust and ultimate satisfaction in God, we receive the blessing of God. Not materially, but in joy. To be able to rest, to be able to trust God in all things. And so I want to tell you this, that whatever you're facing in life, it's no match for God. Whatsoever. It pales in comparison to the greatness of God. Of God. Why do we make so much of the glory of God? Why do we make so much of the sovereignty of God? This is why. Because if we don't establish that as our basis, then we have a weak faith. We serve a great God. Listen to this quote from Martin Luther. He says this. He says, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. So true and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. Again, we know that the Christian life is not one of ease. We know it will be full of pain and full of heartache and full of trials. There, were, there will certainly be moments of joy and moments of, of resting in the graciousness of God. And I want to, to tell you, you will face trials. If you haven't, you will. If you haven't faced attacks, you will. Maybe you're facing like these issues, this, you know, maybe it's like a personal attack because of the sins that you've committed in your life that you're not trusting that God can redeem those. He can. It doesn't matter what you've done. There's simply no one outside of the reach of God's grace. If He calls you, He will be sure to save you. But whatever the case may be, again, I want you to trust this. That when Paul writes in Romans 8, that God works all things together for good, He is. All things. When sickness comes, God's working it for good. When you lose your job, God's working it for good. When you lose a family member, God's working it for good. And it might be hard to see past the film of pain and of the film of sorrow and the film of sin. But it's not hard for God. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That God knows and God loves anyway. And that Jesus comes to fight our greatest battle for us. The battle of sin. That Jesus comes to take our sin on himself to be destroyed by the wrath of God so that we could be counted righteous. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the good news. How do we have absolute trust in God? Because Jesus died. I love the passage says, but more than that, who was raised? It's not just the death, it's the resurrection too that makes the gospel glorious. 
So ultimately, the question for us is, are we trusting in Him? Let's pray. Father, I don't know where everyone in this room is at. I don't know what everyone's going through. I, I don't know the pain that they may be facing. I don't know the internal struggles they may be in the midst of battling. But God, you do. And, and maybe there are folks here that aren't going through any of that. And they're like, I don't even understand. But we know they will. So I'm praying that when they do, they know that they can trust in you. God, I pray that you I pray that you move our hearts to a place of absolute trust. To trust in your goodness, to, re- to rest in your grace and to reflect your glory. So that we may receive joy. true joy that can only come from you. It's in Christ's name we pray.